My name is Kathy Dauberger, and I'm one of the elders here at the church. Um, today, scriptures come from the Old Testament. We've been um, using the same scripture for who we are, so we're going to read from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy and the New Testament gospel of Matthew. So please stand, if you're able, to reverence the reading of God's word. This is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 12. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you, when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God bring, brings, uh, in, I'm sorry, when the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities you didn't build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you didn't provide, wells you didn't dig, and vineyards and olive groves you didn't plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And the second reading is in Matthew. It's a great commandment. This is in Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to, be, to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Lord God, as Matthew comes up, as Pastor Watson comes up, Lord God, I pray that, um, that you continue to work in him, Lord. I know he has head knowledge, heart knowledge, spiritual knowledge. Father, let him speak your words, Father. Um, Holy Spirit, we just welcome you here. And we pray, Lord, that whatever Matthew is teaching, that we have ears to hear, hearts to feel, and spirits to receive. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning. My name is Matthew. I serve as one of the pastors here at Christ City. I'm really honored uh, to be here with you. It has been, uh, you know, a year and a half since we had last worshiped together in person when we got together a couple of uh, weeks ago for the first time. Um, and uh, it's a joy. It's just been a joy. We, uh, we're praying this morning for our uh, teenagers that are on a teen city retreat, uh, as Justin mentioned. Also, the Rosedale small group is out uh, on a small group retreat. And so just to be able to, um, 
to get back together both here at Minor, but then also in different places uh, on retreats and in our small groups and to serve together in the community in person together for the first time in over a year and a half is a joy. That it's, that, it's, that it's nourishing to our souls. It was, it was right for us to be away and to be isolated for a season, but to, but to emerge back out of this, is, um, it, it's been an ache that we've had. So, and I think as I was thinking about sort of us all coming back together in person in this place, um, I, I was thinking we're all just a bit different than we were 18 months ago. Uh, some of y'all, uh, you, were, you were single. Um, 18 months ago. Now, you, now you've got married. We, you know, I did a few COVID weddings with y'all. We celebrate that. We praise God for that. Others of you, you've, you've become parents uh, since we last saw each other a year and a half. Some of you uh, have changed jobs or job directions or vocations just all together. You're headed in one, one direction. You're like, yo, I'm not doing it anymore, and, and I'm going to do this new thing, and now you've got like a new job, a new role. Um, some of you here, like you weren't even in D.C. 18 months ago, and uh, welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, you've sort of been tucked away in your house, and now you're able to kind of come outside, and you've only joined Christ City since we've been virtual. And, and look, I just want to applaud your courage. I can't imagine how challenging it's been to move into a new city and to find a new church all in the midst of a global pandemic. So, uh, amen. Welcome. Glad that you're here, and that you found your way here. Others of us, the truth of it is, our, our stage of life, our season of life, our, our vocations, our addresses, our workplace, it is just as it was in 2020. But emotionally and, and, and spiritually, we're, we're different. As we've all come through and can continue to come through a harsh season that has felt like a long winter filled with isolation and violence and illness and exposure, we're just different a bit. But like, but like tulip bulbs that are buried in the ground and that are planted in winter, we're, we're emerging again, are we not? Bit by bit, little by little, on our own and all together. And there's a joy, it may be like kind of a reserved joy, but there's a joy nonetheless that we're experiencing. An emerging celebration that neither winters nor nights nor wars last forever. We're poking up from our collective isolated slumber and we're hoping for new seasons as beautiful and wounded saints, as beloved children of a heavenly father that doesn't sleep or slumber or change. And so as we begin this season again of, of, of regathering as a congregation, we've wanted to remind each other of who we are as a church to remember again and to anchor again on the unique mission and calling that God has invited us into as Christ City Church. This little eight-year-old congregation tucked away in this northeast corner of Washington, D.C. A couple of weeks ago, Justin let us off as we first got together, pointing us back to our church's vision. That vision uh, is to see the flourishing of God's kingdom on display in every life and every sphere of life. Our, our collective vision, that, that thing to which God has called and equipped and commissioned Christ City for, to see God's kingdom, to see the kingdom of God that was inaugurated by Christ in his birth and his life and death and resurrection, to see that kingdom, a kingdom marked by faith and hope and love and mercy and grace and forgiveness and peace, to see that kingdom taking up residence in every individual life that we come across. 
and to see that kingdom on display in every sphere of life, each sphere of life, spheres that include but are not limited to education, economics, housing, justice, government, business, the arts, families, and family dynamics that we long to see and we work to see God's kingdom on display in every life and in every sphere of life. You want to know if you're new here or maybe you've been a minute, you hadn't been, you want to know what we as a church are about, what we're passionate about, what, what are the contents of our prayer lives, what is this worship fueling us for, what our community is bent on being engaged in, that's it. God's kingdom, every life and every sphere of life. But, but, but how are we going to go about accomplishing this vision? What are the steps that we're going to take towards seeing this vision realized? There's three steps. Justin laid them out a few weeks ago. Lisa followed up after that. And those steps are that we will love God, that we will love others, and that we'll make disciples. That's, that's our approach to seeing the kingdom of God take up residence in the lives of folks that we love and those that are strangers to us and take up residence in every sphere of life as well to love God, to love others, and to make disciples. And loving God, if we're going to make progress in our realizing this vision of seeing God's kingdom on display in every life and every sphere of life, then we begin, end, and are sustained uh, by a love of God. That's it. And conversely, we will not progress. We will not move forward if we are not cultivating that love. The beauty of this is that the thing is, we don't have to cultivate this love of God on our own. It's not done under our own power. We are empowered to love because God first loved us. God uh, first displayed his love towards us in the person and work of Jesus. And God preserves that love through the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It isn't on us to muster enough love for God and hope that we will accomplish the vision. It's not on us, but God first loving us. God's response to us and his ongoing, wild and encircling love that he has for each and every person that's in this room and outside this room. We've got to love others. Lisa preached on this last week, reminding us that uh, the, one of the chief responses, the, the primary display in our lives that we love God is the way that we love others. To love those that are close to us and those that are far away from us. To love those that are like us and those that are unlike us. To love those that are our friends and those that are our enemies. That our response of God's love towards us is to love others. The reason is because our love towards others, our, our love towards the world is to be a reflection of God's love that was extended to humanity. God's love was extended to the world through Jesus, extended to those who were hostile towards God. In Romans 5, it reminds us that while we were enemies from God, we were yet reconciled to God through Christ. God showed us love and now invites us to show that same tenacious love towards others. And the third step is to make disciples. Third step that we're going to take towards realizing the vision of seeing God's kingdom come in every life and every sphere of life is by, is by making disciples. And this is where I want to spend the bulk of our time this morning. And I want to address kind of two questions here. Like what is a disciple and then how are disciples made? Before diving too far in, I think it may be helpful for us to just sort of 
understand even why making disciples is our third step at all. Um, but why is this part of our strategic process for realizing the vision that we have? And explain that, I think it's helpful to look at one of the passages that um, Kathy read earlier. It's at the end of Matthew's Gospel in Matthew 28, where we come to these concluding words of Jesus. These uh, have become the last words that Matthew records that Jesus is saying before he ascends into heaven. Jesus is there. He's gathered with his disciples. And these are his parting words. Matthew 28, 18. Then Jesus came to them, came to the disciples and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. That's our phrase. Go and make disciples of all of the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. All of the commands that Jesus said, which we'll get to in a moment. And surely I'm with you to the very end of, end of the age. These are the, these are the last words, the concluding words. I think the last words, you know, they, 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 carry a, they carry a weight to them. They carry an importance to them. Things that you, that you remember. I remember, um, I remember the last words that I spoke to my dad before he passed. And I remember the last words that he spoke to me before he passed. My dad, um, he was sick. Uh, he was in a hospital. And I'd stayed all night with him that night. We were taking turns, just kind of just keeping vigil, watching over him. We knew that the end was around the corner, or we sensed it anyway. And I sensed that my dad was nervous about this, too. We were both kind of nervous and unsure. And, the, uh, you know, transitions can be like that. And I remember sharing with them the, a verse that the, the Spirit had been stirring in me leading up to this. And it was out of Psalm 4. And he woke up, uh, and we were talking and chit-chatting a little bit. And I said, Dad, there's, you know, there's just a verse I want to share with you. And truth of it is, I, I love my dad. We had a great relationship. But I wasn't often one to share Bible verses with him. We shared a lot of other stories. But um, it just, uh, you know, we, we didn't share that. But I, I just had this sense that I'm supposed to share this verse with him. It was out of Psalm 4, verse 1. It said, answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me. And hear my prayer. And then verse 8, at the end, how the psalm concluded. In peace, I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. I remember sharing that just because I, I wanted him to have that comfort and that confidence of whatever the lying down and whatever the sleeping, whether it would be for a moment or until we all are gathered together around the great banquet table, that I wanted him to know that he and I both were able to rest in the safety of God. It's my last words to my dad. I remember his last words to me. Uh, it was a few days afterwards. Uh, I'd come into his room. He was in the ICU at that point, and um, they had moved him around a bit. And I walked in. I walked into the room, and uh, the nurse is, like, really bickering at my dad. Like, she's just on him. She's, like, kind of, you know, berating him a little bit. She's mad at him. Mr. Watson, you haven't eaten your food. Look, we lay this food out here. How come you haven't eaten it? My dad's just laying there looking at her. And she's like, and look, you didn't even take your medicine. I put it in this cup for you. Like, what's going on? You have to, you know, you got to do the things. You're never going to get better if this, doesn't, uh, if this doesn't work. And she's just going in on him. Apparently, he wasn't, you know, the, the best uh, patient. And Nurse Debbie, she was going to let him know about it. So she's giving him the business. And after she leaves, my dad is looking at her. And then he looks over at me. And his last words, these three last words he says to me, he goes, she likes me. 
she likes me. The man never lost a sense of humor, nor <laughs> never missed an opportunity to wrongly read the room. I think the last words, they just they carry a weight and we hang on to them. Jesus says in Matthew 28, I've, I've given you everything that I can give you. I've, I, I've given it to you. And now this is what I, I want you to be about. I want you to make disciples. The original language and the, the original Greek for this passage, it indicates that it's an imperative verb. He's giving a command, not a suggestion. It's, it's not a hope or a possibility or a what about, but rather Jesus is stating something that's critical and compulsory for those that would follow him. He's saying make disciples. But, but what is a disciple? A disciple is simply it's an apprentice or a student, and not a student just in the academic or intellectual sense, but rather one, an apprentice that is a student that is in the whole life sense. Dallas Willard is a, a Christian author and a longtime professor of philosophy at the University of Southern California before he passed. Willard often wrote on themes of God's kingdom and on discipleship, and in one of his writings, he lays out this definition that I find quite compelling. A disciple or apprentice is simply someone who has decided to be with another person in order to become capable of doing what that person does or to become what that person is. A disciple is one who follows another in order to become capable of what that person does. In this instance, you can think of a tradesman apprentice, a, a carpenter or an electrician or an artist. They want to become capable of what that person does or to become what that person is. I imagine uh, ways that a martial arts uh, person trains according to their sensei or a devotee of yoga they learn from their instructor or the residency a young doctor may take in order uh, to become trained in some specialized medicine, a surgeon perhaps. A disciple looks to become capable of doing what that person does or to become what that person is. And when we lay this definition alongside uh, our discipleship and alongside our discipleship and faith in Jesus, we have to ask, who was Jesus and, and what did he do? For those of us who might call ourselves disciples of Jesus, what is it that we're looking to become capable of doing or what are we striving to become ourselves? And when we look at the sweep of the Gospels, uh, a picture of Jesus emerges that informs our own discipleship, our our own apprenticeship. And we find that what Jesus did is that he, that he lived in light of the kingdom. That he displayed the kingdom of God. That he ushered in God's kingdom and he invited others into God's kingdom. Jesus lived in light of God's kingdom. His, his identity was shaped by God's kingdom, by the, tri, by the traits that mark the kingdom of God. That Jesus lived in light of these traits of grace and mercy and peace and forgiveness and justice and welcome and ultimately love. That at every turn in Jesus' life, when facing storms or trials or deserts or violence or accusation, that at every turn Jesus was continually informed by God's kingdom and his own location in that kingdom, his own identity as a beloved son in that kingdom. Jesus lived in light of the kingdom, but Jesus also put that kingdom on display. 
He put it on display by healing the sick, by welcoming the outsider, by feeding the hungry, by welcoming children, by elevating the marginalized, by comforting the afflicted, by forgiving offenders. He worked to display the day when God finally and fully makes right all that is broken, all that is disheveled and dislocated, that it finds its order and its home in God's kingdom. He worked to show that God was instituting another world and another way of living in that world. Jesus put this on display for us to see. But Jesus also ushered in the kingdom. He also uh, overturned money-changing tables. He freed captives. He announced a kingdom where the first are last and the last first and the meek inherit the earth. He defeated sin through his sacrifice and upended empires by washing feet and centering the marginalized. He ushered in the kingdom. He participated in the right setting of history. And Jesus invited others into God's kingdom. He alerted the world that salvation was at hand. He said, I've come to seek and to save those that are lost. He came proclaiming that God's kingdom was here and that the doorway to the kingdom was open by way of faith in him. Jesus invited others to, to lay aside other lesser life motivations and lay claim to his life, to his yoke, to his pursuits for our lives, knowing that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And this is all part of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. And it is into this life, it is into this discipleship, a life that is lived in light of the kingdom, a life that displays the kingdom, a life that participates in the ushering in of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, a life that invites others into this kingdom. It is this life that Jesus is inviting us into when he says to anyone who would listen, follow me. Follow me. Just as Jesus discipled those first disciples into this way of living and now looks to those disciples and to us to say, this is what it means to be my disciple. This is what it means to follow me. This takes me to the last question that I want to address here. How are disciples made? Um, Justin, in there I left a bag. If you bring that bag out, it's a secret bag. It's what I'm going to use to show you how disciples are made. You didn't know that disciple making could be found in a Trader Joe's bag, but I'm about to amaze you. How are disciples made? And I think on this question, I, I want to zero in on a passage that we've looked at throughout this series out of Deuteronomy 6. Thanks, brother. This is my disciple making bag right here. It's a passage that instructs us to love God with all of who we are. To love the Lord with our heart and our soul and our strength. But it's the back half of that passage that I want to alert us to. That I want us to take a look on. Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. These are the commands that I give you today. This is the greatest commandment. Jesus would reiterate this in all of the Gospels when he said this is the greatest commandment. Verse 7, impress them, impress this, this love of God and love of neighbor, impress this on your children. As Stephanie uh, just did, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. 
Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. The commands to, to, to love God with all of who we are in order to, to be discipled into this love we're instructed to place this command, this, this invitation uh, to, to, to follow these commands of love, this invitation to a kingdom of loving and living, that we're actually to surround ourselves with this commandment. The writer of Deuteronomy he uses language and imagery to communicate to the reader that we are to surround ourselves with this good news, with this gospel message, that we're to let God's love and our love of God to shape all of who we are, the message of God's uh, loving kingdom is to be impressed on our hearts. It's to find uh, impression uh, in our affections, in our desires, so that our inner lives are governed by God's kingdom. The writer goes on to say that there's to be generational implications for our discipleship. That the good news that, it, that, that comes to us, it's not to just come to us, but to go through us to others and into the lives of others. We're to have the story of God uh, on our lips when we're at home or when we're in the community, when we're walking or when we're resting. We're to adorn our bodies and our homes with the message of God's kingdom. In other words, discipleship isn't just something that happens once a week. In our case here, when we gather on Sundays, and neither is it something that only happens episodically in small groups that meet throughout the week or in mid-sized groups like the AAPI Affinity Group or others. And it's not just to happen when we're serving uh, at Minor, although all of those places are absolutely venues where discipleship takes place. But rather discipleship, our apprenticeship into the ways of Jesus are to take on a whole life rhythm. We're to surround ourselves with the message of God's kingdom when we're at home or when we're on the train, when we're with those that we know well and those that we love, as well as when we're facing strangers that are friendly and hostile. We're to be telling the story of God's love to ourselves when we forget and tell that story to those that we know and those that we know less well. And we're to be putting into practice those same practices that Jesus engaged in, the same kingdom living, displaying, ushering, inviting practices of Jesus, not just sometimes or one time, but to quote Deuteronomy when we're at home or when we're walking along the way, when we're resting or when we're working, and when we're surrounded ourselves with the life we are to surround ourselves with the life transforming message of God's kingdom that we find in the scripture it is to be cultivated in community by the leading of the Holy Spirit um in my at home I have a home office and if you were to walk in um we have a lot of folks that kind of come in and out of our house and the back door of our house comes into the office and and there's just um the 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 decorative style of the home office would be what I would call library and chaos. We've got a lot of books and I got things all over the place. If ever you've been there, we've got like artwork, we've got sculptures, we've got bobbleheads, we've got plants that are living and thriving, some that are dying. We've got a lot of wood paneling because that's I live in an old house and we haven't changed it because I think wood paneling is going to come back and I'm going to be sitting on a gold mine one day. We've got, like, there was some, we got a, like, a, some kayaks showed up at my house, and we put those in the garage, but somehow, some way, we thought we should put the paddles for the kayaks in the office, because that's, you know, in case you want to read a book and hold a paddle. And so there's just, when you walk in, there's just a lot going on. 
And sometimes it can be hard to know where to look in the midst of library of chaos. But there's a few things, a few ways that we're trying to live into this, this reminder from Deuteronomy to, to write the truths of God's kingdom all around us. And I want to share some of those with you, ways that we're trying to put this on display. We have a friend, James Graham. He's an artist, and he did a chalkboard wall for us. I think I've got an image of it. And where it is, it's, got, um, it's on our wall in the Library of Chaos. It's got my name. My last name's Watson. Most folks call me Watson. You're welcome to call me Watson. And then underneath it is a passage out of Micah 6.8 that reminds us to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. And so when you walk in, when all the kids from the neighborhood, they walk in, they, they can't remember what to call me. I'm like, hey, bro, my name's on the wall. And if you need to know what we're about, it's there. These, these invitations of kingdom living to make them big so that whenever we come in or go out, that they're there. Um, I've got a piece of art that hangs up as well. My wife doesn't like this, but she loves me and we've compromised. This hangs up in the library of chaos. I made this. And what it reminds me is that at any point in the story, I got an artwork of chaos. This piece reminds me that just as Jesus did the work of displaying God's kingdom by healing the sick and welcoming the stranger and freeing the captive and forgiving those that wronged him, that sometimes the work is progress. We don't start out as straight sticks. Sometimes we're broken and twisted and gnarly at some places. But that God can take the broken things of the world. He can heal them and make them straight. And sometimes we go back and forth, up and down the piece of artwork. But it hangs as a constant reminder of the healing work of God. Um, my son wrote something, something that Elias wrote. Apparently in his classroom, they wanted to know if you were going to run for president, what would be your platform? And so he, he wrote what his platform would be, and this hangs up amidst the chaos as well. A little man wrote, if I were the president, I would help people get a home. I'd also help people get a job. I'd also make sure everybody has enough food. Just as Jesus ushered in the kingdom, pointing us all to the day when all that is lost and broken and all the hungry and unhoused finally find what they need Elias note reminds me that we can be about that work too and then the last thing to show you is um, my grandmother she passed away her name was Ruby Loretha she chose to go by Loretha although I would say she had two amazing names she displayed to me what is unconditional love, and that's the thing that I, as a follower of Jesus, want to display to everybody. She went to Hawaii when I was a kid. I said, hey, Granny, bring me a coconut. Back from Hawaii, I was living in an uh, apartment complex in East Dallas at the time. I'd never actually seen a coconut. 
my granny brought me a coconut. She didn't bring me no regular old kind of coconut. She brought me a coconut that was shaved and shaped in the head of a monkey. Because if you're going to give your grandson a coconut, you should give him one with a little style. If you've been on a Zoom call with me, this uh, sits over my back left shoulder. And it reminds me that God loves us unconditionally. And if there's anything that I want hanging over my shoulder, it's God's unconditional love displayed to us and that we are called to display to others. Jesus is saying to us, to all of us this morning, the ways to live into this vision of seeing God's kingdom on display in every life and every, li every sphere of life, that the invitation to discipleship begins with two words, follow me. Follow me. Church, let us be a people that follow Jesus. Let us be those that are discipled by and are discipling others in this kingdom work inviting others into that kingdom, into a life of freedom and joy that Jesus and his kingdom offer. Surround yourselves with this life. Surround yourself with those that can remind you of that truth, the truth of God's love and grace when you lose your way, because we will all lose our way sometimes. But let us respond rightly to Jesus' invitation when he says, follow me. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, I pray that that we would sense your invitation in this moment. That we would sense you saying to us, follow me. Receive the life that is truly life. Continue to walk in the ways of Jesus. Spirit, I pray that, that we would hear it again, even, even if we've heard it before, God, that we, would, that we would take up the mantle of discipleship, that we would continue to be shaped by your love and your care and your embrace, your grace, your salvation, all of the things that mark your kingdom. Let us release... The, the grip that we have on our own lives and let us surrender it to you so that we might more faithfully and fully live. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.